I want to say over the last few weeks, we've been actually going through various parts in the book of Romans. Not sure if you've been paying attention to, to that path, if you will. When we talked about lessons like you know, blessed assurance or, you know, how good is good enough. Or when we're talking about being living sacrifices, being transformed by the renewing of our minds, we went through various parts of this letter. And it seems fitting then to have the rubber meet the road. And so we're talking about some things in which brethren can be guilty of doing when that's not our intent. We're talking about being stumbling blocks or not being stumbling blocks, as is indicated here in Romans chapter 14. And so by way of reminder, if you, if you stop to think about the path that we've been going on as a reminder, you go back to the first few chapters and you see this discussion that Paul is giving to the saints at Rome. You see, this is a quote-unquote pastoral letter, if you will. You've got this apostle in a father-like figure telling his brothers and sisters in Christ at Rome about the relationships they have with one another. You have Jews at the church at Rome. And you have Gentiles at the church at Rome. And they all have their baggage. And it is with that baggage that you have cliques, if you will. Groups where one group has this mindset, and that mindset is the right way. And then you've got the group on this side with that mindset that it's the right way. And Paul is addressing these things. He's wanting both Jews and Gentiles in the church that Rome to know we're all guilty of sin. Every one of us. But in Christ, we don't have that condemnation. In Christ, we're able to walk with the Lord and walk in the Spirit. And then he goes on to further expound upon why they got to this point. And so he gives the explanation how the Jews who are under the law, by the law, were not able to keep it. And it says in chapter 9, and we'll look at this later on, how they tried to fulfill righteousness through the law, even though it was not possible. Not by way of that perfection, if you will. The flip side to that is you have those who would say, grace, grace. And Paul says, don't you know we... We died to sin. You don't need to have this mindset that says, I can just do whatever I want because I have grace. You know, grace is given, not as a license to sin. And then he goes on talking about various ways in which we have this relationship with people in society. Romans chapter 13 about those who are over us. And then how we should treat one another. Not letting love be with hypocrisy and so on and so forth. And so... He now has this application side of things that we get to. And I want you to know that when we fast forward 2,000 years from this writing to us today, this is one sensitive chapter in the Bible among brethren. In my mind, I have ears among preachers perked. What is he going to say? That's what I have. Because you have brethren on this side that looks at this and they'll say, well, this is, a, you know, matters of doctrine versus matters of opinion. And then you got this side talking about, well, you know, what is, what is this eating of meats and, and what is the real application for us today? Not for a century, because I don't think this is an issue for us today. And so the application is where we get into all the debates in the journals among brethren and so on and so forth. That's what goes on. And we have brethren pointing fingers and drawing lines because of the view and the application of Romans 14. See, this is what was going on 2,000 years ago. And when Paul wrote this, he did not write this as a treaty for theology. He wrote this to say, brethren, here's how you need to behave with one another. That's what he wrote it for. And so... These are things that we're looking at this morning when it comes to being stumbling blocks. And, and, and this is a very important matter that we all need to address. It's part of the whole counsel of God. The question is, how often do you make judgments about others based upon what you believe? When what they believe is different. Do you do that? How many of you never make judgments? I don't judge another person. 
Good, because we would have had a good talking after services. <laughs> we all judge. Every one of us do that. Naturally, how we judge may be a bit different issue. We all like to think that we judge based upon what? The Word of God. That's what we should be judging based upon. But the thing is, we can all say that. Every one of us. Look at Joel. I'm going, okay, here's what I think about this. And Joel's like, well, I know mine is based upon the Word of God. I don't know what Joel does. Bless his heart. Of course, he's thinking, I know I'm basing my judgment upon the Word of God. What was Mitch thinking? And so you have this back and forth. This is what, when application comes to to our lives, what has brought so much in the way of division rather than unity as chapter 14 is dealing with. And so we're looking at this question, how often do you make these judgments about others who think differently and believe differently than you? And I want to just limit it for the most part among brothers and sisters in Christ, because this is one of those areas that that I think that needs to be addressed. And we talk about it from time to time. But we look at things and then we move on and not really address the problem. And thus we have problems. And so let's look at some of this. Well, with that question, I want you to. To stop and think about this. When you're looking at someone who thinks differently than you, whether you use these words or not, this is what happens. Well, based upon my conversation with brother or sister so-and-so, they are too liberal. They are too conservative. They're too loose in their view and in their practice. They're too restrictive on their view and in their practice. That's what happens. That's the reality of what happens when we make judgments. And I'm right in the middle. Because I'm fair-minded. And if everyone could be just like me, we'd be more fair-minded. That's what happens with those judgments. They don't understand the passage. And I wish they would. And so we make these kinds of things when it comes to a passage of God's word or a subject matter because, well, you know, we need to take the whole Bible, right? And so it sounds good and I sound like I'm sound in the faith because I take the whole Bible, but I wish you would too. And so we we come up with these, these statements. And this is what's going on in my estimation when it comes to those Jews and Gentiles of the first century. I can just imagine the Jews going... We've had a covenant relationship with God for centuries. We know how to worship God and how to serve God. And those are the very things that were imposed upon their Gentile brethren. Just read Acts 15. In fact, just read from Acts chapter 10 through 15, for that matter. And you get to see that and played out over the course of time. And so they do that. The Gentiles, on the other hand, going, well, listen... Here's what we're told. We're told to believe in Jesus as the Christ. And now you're trying to impose all this stuff from a law that we were told has been done away with. What happened? And they're back and forth with each other. So Paul is addressing this. So here are judgments based upon our past. I want you to think about this from your standpoint. Your past and your present. You take what you have learned over the years how you believed over the years, how you served God over the years, and this is where you are now, today. And is everyone else the same with you? On that same spot on the road, so to speak? I would say no. Not on every single issue. And when it comes to this, then, we take that current knowledge of what constitutes our mind of what God's will is. And that's where we get into our judgments. And so these are the things that I'm wanting us to deal with this morning. So we want to ask the question, how do we heed the warning based upon Romans 14 and verse 13, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way? Well, I want us to just, before we actually get into the lesson itself, to understand what this is. You know, from the, the word itself, stumbling block. The origin of that word is really interesting, I think. Because you would take this trap, a snare. And whenever the animal would come into, whether it's a box or maybe whatever it is, as soon as they got the bait, that's it. They're trapped. 
And all throughout the Old Testament scriptures, if you were to have it in Greek, as well as the New Testament scriptures, you've got this word by which we have the word today called scandal. Scandalon in the Greek. And here's this word where you entrap someone. We are told that Jesus, by virtue of him coming into this world, served as a scandalon. As a stumbling block to Jews. How is that possible? Our Lord came to this world and by virtue of his presence in the world, he's a stumbling block. I thought he came to save, not to trap. Well, the point is that many of the Jews were unbelieving. They did not believe in him. They couldn't accept who he was because of the way he spoke. The things that he declared. And so they dismissed him. And thus, he, the chief cornerstone, became a stumbling stone or a scandalone, a snare to them. Then we see it used in other ways. And we can find it like in Mark chapter 9, all throughout verses 38 through verse 50 following, where here we have individuals. And they were warned not to be stumbling blocks. Like, don't refuse little children. Don't put a stumbling block in front of my little children. So on and so forth. So we have this kind of warning. And now we're told here in Romans 14, telling brethren on both sides, don't become stumbling blocks for one another. Don't put a stumbling block in front of another. And so this is a very important key in having fellowship with God as well as one another. Um, one another excuse me. So let's look at these things this morning. First thing we need to do is have the caveats. Otherwise, it seems like if you don't, you get raked over the coals <laughs> later on. So... Let's look at some of these preliminary truths. The first one, I believe, is we understand this mentally, but we've got to really understand it. The way Joel led us as a song leader, we could have simply said, okay, turn to the, the number song and just start singing. But he got our minds ready to think about what was being said so that we can not just know that, yeah, our God is an awesome God. I, I stand in awe of his presence. Does that really sound very all like the way I just said it? I don't think so. The same thing is true. We can mentally and academically know that God wants all saved, but stop and really think about the ramifications to this. Jesus Christ died for all. It's here in Romans 14. Verse 19, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify... Excuse me, verse 9, my bad. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. And that's sandwiched in us not judging one another. Don't judge. He died for his servant. That servant is not your servant. He belongs to Jesus Christ who died for him. We're told in verse 15, Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. It's more than just academics. This is a charge. Don't do this. Jesus Christ died for that soul. Don't be this one. And so this is a command that we take. He doesn't want any lost. So he wants all saved. He's made provisions for all to be saved. And it is his desire that he doesn't want any lost. Well, we know these things. We know from Scripture what it says. But if God has gone and done everything that he can so that salvation can be provided for us. And his heart's desires that none of us would ever perish. But that we'd come to Repentance. And that He provides the means by which we would never stumble. Those that are in Christ, that is. Those whom He says, there's nothing that can separate you from Him. If that's the case, then we look at our relationship with us. We come into the picture with our baggage. With this in mind, mind you. And as true in the first century, where you can have the baggage of those who have tried to fulfill all righteousness through the law, and those are saying, listen, it is by God's grace that we have this relationship with Him, then how do you suppose those, those different viewpoints come together? Because they clash as far as the Scriptures are concerned. 
They clash, and it causes fellowship issues. And 2100 or 21 centuries later, if you will, we had the same thing. This is the, pra- the baggage that makes, I believe, practical fellowship very difficult. And that is the reason why you'll have brothers and sisters in Christ within a whole rainbow spectrum from one end to the other as ultra, ultra, and I don't know if I can keep saying ultra, conservative to the ultra, ultra, I don't know if you can keep saying liberal. You wonder, how in the world could they exist? How can we be that far when Jesus prayed for unity? Part of the problem is because of the mindset that we have. The baggage that we bring in to our interpreting Scripture and applying that Scripture. That's what we have here, right? We have opinions. The way people interpret the will of God. And through those opinions, one saying yes and the other saying no, and they're kind of butting heads. That's what you're seeing here. And as a result, they become stumbling blocks for each other. So these are the things that we need to look at. All right. It is my estimation that everyone in this room, everyone who has ever named the name of Jesus Christ, if your heart is right with God, you don't want to be a stumbling block. I know I don't. We don't want our own brothers and sisters who Christ died for to stumble and lose their soul. We don't want someone who is serving God to not serve Him. And not serve Him with all their heart, soul, and mind. But just because we don't want them to doesn't mean we're not stumbling blocks. Just because I don't want my brother or my sister in Christ to be anything but faithful to God doesn't mean I'm not hindering them. Because I can be. Have you ever done something without knowing it inadvertently to someone else, hurting someone else? Husbands, have you ever hurt your wives without ever knowing it? Yeah. Wives, have you ever hurt your husbands without knowing it? I believe so. Not intentionally. Well, maybe sometimes, but that would be sin, right? <laughs> sin to intentionally, maliciously try to undermine and to usurp or, or to destroy that marriage. But that's not the way we are. Generally speaking, we want the best for our spouse. We want the best for our family. We want the best for our neighbors, our co-workers, everyone that we're in contact with. We should want that. But just because we want that doesn't mean we're not guilty of it. And that is the reason why when you go to a passage like Mark, and I want you to go, we'll come back to Romans 14. Look at what Mark says, because Jesus is dealing with this matter here um, from verse 38 following in the text. Notice what he says here. John answered him, and your translation would say, John said to him, not necessarily answered him, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us, casting out demons in your name, and we forbade them because... He does not follow us. Okay, stop and think about this. Jesus has his followers, among which are these apostles. They're all together with Jesus, going places, and and of course Jesus told them, you go out and you cast out demons. You go back earlier in the chapter, there was someone that went up to the disciples and said, here's what's going on, cast out that demon, and they couldn't do it. Now guess who comes along? Someone who is not following them on that day-to-day basis. And that person is casting out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, they're not with us. They don't walk with us. They don't eat with us. We can't have them doing that. That's just wrong. Jesus says something to them. He says in verse 39, do not forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterward speak evil of me. Well, was Jesus doing something that he shouldn't be saying? Or is it something that his disciples needed to learn? (laughs) For he who is not against us is on our side. And he goes on to say, For whoever gives you a cup of water or to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, I say to you assuredly, he will by no means lose his reward. He says in verse 42, going from various warning after warning in a way of looking at stumbling, causing stumbling blocks. 
Whoever causes one of these little uh, little ones who believe in me to stumble. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. In other words, that millstone served as judgment notice to the one who would cause the little one who believes in Jesus Christ to not believe in him because they were a stumbling block to that child. Or that one young in the faith. No different than being a stumbling block for one who is casting out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. And you're saying, stop it, you're not with this group. And now, he stops doing it. So here we are, we fast forward, and we look at the fact that there are those, the disciples of Jesus, who are not wanting to be stumbling blocks, but in being guilty of it. John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, a stumbling block? Yeah. He says, don't forbid him. If John, who loves the Lord, can be a stumbling block, do you think that it's possible that we can be guilty of it? See, I mean, this sermon is not about what everyone else is doing wrong. It's about what we need to practice, what we need to do in our life so that we can ever be closer to our God. And be in the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why we're looking at this. And Paul is saying to the church at Rome, you've got those that need to understand this lesson. Now, that said, let's look at Romans 14. I want you to look at the individuals here because somehow, I think brethren get, get a misuse, misunderstanding of who the weak and strong brethren are. And I remember giving a lesson out of Romans 14, oh, about 10 years ago. And when I got done with the sermon, one of the deacons said, are you saying I'm weak? <laughs> I said, did I say that? <laughs> uh, you know, based upon this text, it, because I have an issue with this, I'm the one who's weak. I went like this. <laughs> you got it. But listen, I'm not weak. I'm a strong brother. Here's my weak brother. It's a misunderstanding of what Romans 14 is dealing with. Look at what it's being said, or look at what is being said in the text here. Romans 14, reading again from verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who does eat. For God has received him. Who are you? To judge another's servant. To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Is Paul saying you can be wishy-washy? You got this brother saying, yeah, these are, are special days, and the other one saying they're none special. Paul, I need for you to make a decision. You're the apostle. We need some direction. And you're saying, yay and yay? Verse 6. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat. And... Gives God thanks. Again, another example of either being wishy-washy or yay and yay. Which is it? For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and living. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow before me and every tongue shall confess to God. Not to some other man. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another or anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. And I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet, 
If your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things which may one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. So when we look at who the weak is, who is it? I'll tell you who I believe it is contextually. I believe it is the Jew. The Jew who had all these years, generation after generation, having all these various things by which they were told to do the commandments of Moses. And through the centuries, the mind became so embedded with the thought that my righteousness is based upon keeping that law. Well, Paul already addressed that in chapter 7. It is by virtue of the law that I saw how exceedingly sinful sin was. And that I was guilty of it. And thanks be to God that we have Jesus Christ. But you know, just because you become a Christian as a Jew in the first century, doesn't mean that that mind automatically changes. You still have this mindset that says, I've got all these regulations. And many of the Jews continue to practice Judaism. And it was that law-keeping mindset that had difficulty when it came to this whole concept of eating meat. And many of them looked at that meat. It had been offered to idols. And the very first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. And for centuries, my forefathers fell into idolatry. I don't know how, I don't know how to do anything other than stay away from that meat. And then you got the others are saying, listen... I just learned that there's nothing about these idols. They're nothing. If the idol is nothing, that sacrifice is nothing. The meat is nothing. I believe it's okay to eat that meat. And I could just imagine the Jew looking at the Gentile going, you know what, that's an appearance of evil. You shouldn't be at that marketplace because now you're near sin. You're near that idolatry. Oh, am I? I better not do that anymore. And the conscience is burdened. When in fact, Paul is saying, here's the truth of the matter. Nothing is unclean. I'll tell you, stop and think about it. Modern day application. Did every single thing that God created in this world, was it all good or mostly good? Watch and be careful how you answer that question. It's all good, by the way. Every single thing that God created is good. Have we abused God's creation? Yeah. But that's a whole other thing. But what God had made is good and can be used for good. But we take things in, in God's world that, that He has made naturally. And we'll apply evil to it. And so we've got these different mindsets coming to this. So when we're talking about weak in the faith, here's what I believe the weak in the faith are. Weak in the faith of Jesus Christ. I'm trying to hang on to this standard of righteousness by way of the law. That's what I think is weak in the faith. Not one who is like, I'm just a newborn baby and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to think. You're talking about one who with the scriptures, having great knowledge of the scriptures, going, listen, I don't know about this. I have all these things in God's word and I don't think I should be able to do this. Like, I don't think... I could go into that grocery store because you know what they have in that grocery store? They sell liquor. I don't think I can go to that. They sell cigarettes in that grocery store. I don't think I could step in there. They have books 
people who own these books are affiliated with pornographic magazines. Listen, I don't want to have the appearance of evil. You know what I'm, I'm using as an illustration? Things I heard from 20 years ago when I first obeyed the gospel. And that's what was told Mitch Davis. You can't go to that grocery store, Mitch. You can't go to that gas station, Mitch. That's what I was told. And I believed it because it's the appearance of evil. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Misuse, by the way. So you have those, and instead of their salvation depending upon righteousness through the law, they're needing to learn faith in Christ. They still need to learn that. And that's why their minds are defiled. And whether it was Jew or Gentile, maybe Gentiles would have this perspective. But I could see the typical Jew having this perspective. Paul had to teach them otherwise, as he would himself have to learn. In fact, going back to Romans chapter 9, I want you to look at the text here because, wow, a lot of this passage in Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, and Romans chapter 11 deals with this very point about a stumbling block. So in Romans chapter 9, after he talks about how Israel rejected um, Jesus Christ, I'm back up to verse 27. Isaiah also cries out in concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it, in, cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work on the earth. And Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabbath, or the Lord of hosts, left us the seed, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. What is he talking about then? What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. That's backwards thinking for many of these Jews. Why? Why were these Jews guilty of attaining righteousness through the law and not by faith in Christ? Well, it's because, it says, they did not seek it by faith. These are the ones who are weak in the faith. But as it were, by works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. Instead of just having faith in Jesus Christ. Now, mind you, I'm not saying that there isn't a way of living by faith. See, that's where you're credited to righteousness. But living by faith is that I'm serving God, I'm pleasing God according to His will. But it's not by virtue of that doing that brought my salvation. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the difference in the justification. One justified by that law, and the other justified by faith in Christ. And that's what he's getting to when we get to chapter 14, when we're making this application. So you have that. And then when you talk about the strong, the strong doesn't necessarily mean they've got it all down. It just means that their faith is in the Lord. And when it comes to that faith in the Lord, and they're saying, listen, it's okay for me to eat that meat. It's okay whether or not I esteem a day above another. I mean, we do it here. I've seen us do a good job on Mother's Day. We do a good job on other days, birthdays. We esteem one day above another. That's the reason why Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't have birthdays. They don't celebrate them because we're not going to esteem any one day above another. And some Christians are that way. They're not necessarily the most knowledgeable. The ones who are strong in the faith are those that have this mindset of yay and yay. And so they're saying, it's okay. I can eat that meat. The problem is that when we look at the, the strong and the weak, one is based in Christ and the other in the righteousness of the law. One is weak in faith and the other is strong in faith about given matters. And so when we get into the relationships between one another, here's where the stumbling blocks come in. I'm who am strong in the faith, that believe I can go ahead and just eat the meat, I can observe a day, I can do all these different things. Look at you that, poor, poor Paulette, she can't do it. Bless her heart. I just wish she would know God's word as well as I do. We're saved by faith. You know, saved by grace through faith, as we can read in Ephesians 2 and verse 8. 
But I look down upon Paulette because she just doesn't have it. I'm condemned already. As I look down upon my sister, rather than try to build her up and be edifying for her, toward her, reverse it. Miss Paulette looks at Mitch going, I can't believe that he does that. He eats meat. Why is he even preaching? And there's that mindset. He's off into left field. And she judges and condemns me. Don't be stumbling blocks is what Paul said. The next question that we have within this stumbling block is the idea of saying, but bitch, what about the doctrine of Christ? All right, let's think about this. When we're talking about the doctrine of Christ, we're talking one of two ways, very broadly. Are we talking about who Jesus Christ is? Or are we talking about all rules that make up what we believe to be, quote unquote, the doctrine of Christ? Now, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead of myself. For instance, all the rules, like this building. Do we have rules of what we can and cannot do for this building? Yeah. So I'm going to ask you to find it in the Bible. Oh, I believe we can find principles. I'm good with that. I'm good with principles. We find it. Um, just as an illustration with rules, this morning, and I agree with this tradition, by the way, we have it and we tell our visitors, this is for the work of the church. Only for the church. The members of this congregation. You're not going to find that in 1 Corinthians 16. We lay by in store. Yes. But never said, visitors, you cannot do this. Nor does it say you have to do it. Just doesn't say anything about it. But over the years, what is a good practice and tradition, because we don't want our visitors to feel like it's all about the money. Right? They get enough of that from televangelists. So we say these things, but over the generations, it becomes a law. And all of a sudden, it's the law. And we can go on with many such things, and so we become stumbling blocks. Well, look at the, the Scripture here. We're told in Matthew 7, judge not, lest you be judged, right? And so we know that the judgment that is spoken of there is this condemnation. It is a stumbling block type condemnation. That's the difference between it and righteous judgment. The kind of judgment that is based upon the will of God. The kind of judgment that, that looks at another where Paul could look at Peter and condemn Peter for his hypocrisy. It's a very different kind of judgment. We're told not to judge, lest we be judged with what judgment we use, it will be meted out against us. When we condemn, we're condemned. Based upon the fact, but, but I'm condemning based upon Scripture. Well, we'd like to think that. But may not be doing such. We may just be believing that we're doing such. And so it's very important that we understand the difference. He said in verse 14 of, of chapter Romans 14, nothing is unclean of itself. Nothing is unclean. All right. So Mitch Davis thinks it is sin. I'm, I'm using as bad illustration because I don't believe this way. Mitch says it is sin for you to have coffee. We had some men. We had a Bible study yesterday morning. Then we had breakfast. And everyone but Mitch Davis had coffee, I think. I'm not sure. <laughs> I know I didn't have it. So everyone else does it. Your sin because you know caffeine, what it can do to your body. Do you know what it can? And a little bit of caffeine is like a little bit of sin. See that leap I just took? And I start binding the fact that if you drink caffeine, anything with caffeine in it, you're guilty of sin. Or you take a little bit of food and you know what that leads to. It leads to gluttony. So if gluttony is sin, then a little bit of food is a little bit of sin. And therefore, I now tell you, you cannot even eat. You laugh, it seems ridiculous, but apply it to every other subject matter. And see where you go with it. That's what happens. Nothing is unclean in and of itself. That's what the inspired writer of God says. But we've got the perception of what is clean and unclean ourselves, and we make up the rules that says no. 
when someone else says yes. And then we look at the one that said yes and say, here's the line in the sand with that brother. In Christ. Yeah, he obeyed the gospel, but he's not worshiping in spirit and in truth because I know this to be true and he's not practicing it. And so we do that. Well, my question to you is when Paul was focused on the meat, was he really talking about meat? I think it's a yes and no. I believe he was because that was an issue. But there was a principle involved. That's why he goes on and says anything or nothing is unclean of itself. And some of your translations actually use anything, applying a broader principle to this subject matter that is very specific. And that is why he goes on to talk about esteeming of days and so on and so forth in chapter 14, going beyond just the, the, the meat and the drink, if you will. You got those observing days. You have those living to the Lord in various ways. And so we see something broader, and that is he's talking about other things. If we're going to go and use the principle here, we're not worried about meat. I don't think there's anyone in this room that says that, that if, if someone didn't eat meat, that they're just ludicrous. You know? Or someone who doesn't eat meat going to say, well, if you do, I don't know if you're, you're even right with God. I've only met one person in my life since becoming a Christian that ever told me that. Mitch, if you eat meat, you're going to hell. Only one person. That's a, that's a lot of people over the course of 20-something years. Hardly anyone thinks that way. There, there may be out there. But is Paul only talking about meat? Or is he talking about the fact that we have a way of resolving relationships when they're at odds with one another? How we handle those things. I believe that's what he's talking about here. So how does this apply to us? What are some things that we can look at? And I'm, this is real sensitive stuff. And I'm only hitting the tip of the iceberg. If we went to every area, we would step on each other's toes all day long. And I'm not so, I'm not so sure if that's even profitable. Can I purchase a product of service if my money goes to something I oppose? Because the answer for some is no. And the answer to others is yes. That is why in 1989, 1990, I never stepped foot in the supermarket because this one sister thought, you're supporting the store, and the store is supporting all this drunkenness. If you go to that denominational carnival and bake sale, you're supporting. That money is going to false teaching. You can't do that. And the other person says, I just want the cake. It tastes good. It's a service. Who's right? Who's wrong? Can I purchase a product, a service, if my money goes to something opposed? We say no to that. I forget if it was Ron and I were having a discussion similar to this yesterday, but we'll go and give money to the atheist. Well, it's not a religious thing, so it's not. It's okay. We can do this. Who do you give your money to? Only Christians? And only Christians who believe exactly like you do? Where, where does it start and end? How about this? Can I use material? Because this has been recent conversations with brethren. Can I use material that is true? The teaching material is true to teach God's word from people I believe to teach error. In other words... They may have truth in this thing that I'd like to use to teach, even though I don't agree with everything that they believe in. There are things that, I don't know, it's just wrong from when I look at Scripture. I see it as wrong. Can I use their material? I've had conversation after conversation on this very matter. I've had a brother that I love so dearly look at me with disdained eyes because I used material not from brethren. I asked him, I said, I know who you are. I've seen your library. Your library has a lot of books from people who are not Christians. And why are you jumping on me? If the material is true, it's true. It's profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. Not saying that it is scripture, but that it is teaching sound doctrine 
then it's profitable. It's helpful. It's a tool. That's what you use. But there are brethren. There are congregations among brethren that would forbid you to use any of these material if it's not from someone that they'll approve of their, their whole life. I was talking to Jerry about this very matter, and he used Homer Haley as an example. Well, that, didn't that just go ahead and make some of you uncomfortable by virtue of saying his name? I think he has a great commentary on the book of Revelation. I think he has a great commentary on his book on the Minor Prophets. Great material. Some of you may say, not so great, but that's, that's a different thing. That's opinion. Do you not teach because some brethren saying, he, I don't even consider a brother in Christ. Because there are some brethren that say that. He's apostate. So we can't use his material. So you have that. How about the parking lot? What if brethren say, you know what, we're going to go up into Atlanta, Atlanta <laughs> Nashville, and, and we want to go to this place, and we're going to meet here at the building and use the parking lot. Is that... The parking lot was not built for carpool and place. You know what that means, ladies, right? On Tuesday mornings, when y'all are done doing your thing, that's what that means. You guys can't keep your cars here. We can go on and on. And I know I'm hitting sensitive issues and, and things like this. And again, it could be a whole lot more sensitive. And sometimes that sensitivity, we just end up in shouting matches. What's the answer? The answer Paul gives, because this could have gone ad nauseum, the answer is right here. The kingdom of God, word for word, explicit in the Bible, the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Where we may do things to edify, build each other up. That's the work of the Lord. What we think is standing for the truth oftentimes ends up, practically speaking, dividing and destroying and devouring the very body of Christ for whom Christ died. And I hate it. I've seen too many brethren destroy the fellowship with one another and act so high and mighty about it. And I've seen brethren that I've loved over the years that I no longer have relationships with because of this. Brethren whom Christ died for. Brethren, it's one thing to be assured about your salvation. And that's a great blessing to have that. And I know some of us struggle even with that. But somehow we destroy brethren's lives by what I think is right and wrong. My God, because I preach the gospel and come up here in the pulpit every Sunday, and my God, that I can, whatever I say is the right thing, I know I can be wrong. Just because I don't believe I'm wrong, just because I'm convinced that what I teach is true, doesn't make Mitch Davis right. I know that. And I also know that you're fallible too. And I know that you're not my judge. Just as you, surely as you should know it, I'm not yours. What are we doing, brethren? What kind of relationship do we have with each other? Is this the relationship that you see among brothers and sisters in Christ, week in and week out, day in, day out, year after year? Is that what you see? I see some of this, and I'm so grateful for it. But I see a whole lot of rubbish as well. Stop and think about what we're doing. Stop and think about why you believe what you believe. Where'd you come from? I can tell you right now, my past has been from a whole lot more conservative from a standpoint of the things that I had been taught and the things that I had learned in my first few years of being in the Lord. If, if, if I were the Mitch Davis of 22 years ago, none of you could wear shorts. Not unless you called shorts down to your ankles. And that's the shorts you would wear. That'd be your shorts. 
And I don't see in the New Testament where that line is, but I tell you what, we got men preaching so strong and powerful lessons on where the line exactly is. And we applaud them. Even though there's nothing in the New Testament for it. Are there principles of modesty? You better believe it. I've preached on it. Do I have lines for my family? You better believe it. Sometimes my, my children don't. And I'm going, well, okay, they're growing. They're getting taller. Carly, you've got to go back to Goodwill. Get some more clothes. So, you know, you've got these lines for your family, but there's one thing to do that and to bind your own brethren and say, this is right for you as well. You've got to stop and think about that. Christ died for you. The last thing I can do is destroy your faith. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those are the words that are word for word found in the Bible. Not the laws of men that have been incorporated into the body of Christ. You stop and think about that, brethren. Very explicitly, Jesus Christ makes known who He is. He lets us know, as a Jew and with a Jewish mindset, you could never keep the law. That's why I came for you. I died for you. Do you believe in me? See, I can make you stand with all your flaws, with all the weaknesses in the faith that you have. I still can make you stand. And to, to the other who has that faith, don't abuse your liberty in Christ. Don't use the liberties that you have as a stumbling block for brethren who are weak in the faith. Shame on you if you do. I died for them. Brethren, don't judge one another. Pursue righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what you pursue.